goodness. I am... Uh, I'm just humbled to be a part of uh, Christ's community, and uh, I love uh, I love the Lord's Church, <laughs> Universal. I love this church, uh, and uh, I'm just grateful to be here with you guys this morning. It's a it's a good day, and um, I am <laughs> I'm just in awe of what God will do with people uh, like Mike and Carrie Iman who are willing to take a few steps outside of their comfort zone. To join Jesus in the mess, the outside, figure out what life looks like in the, in the difficult moments. Um, what's beautiful about their story is that, you know, this time last summer, it was them in the water, right? It was them in the water. And, uh, man, it's so good when God uses people. So good when uh, his word begins to transform people's lives, maybe transforms your life. And instead of, uh, instead of this thing that we call church becoming just something that we do or a box that we check, it becomes something that changes the way we think about living entirely. And our, our entire life begins to change and it begins to huh, just be transformed and used by Him. Used by Him. And um, I hope as we... Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the only story for the day. I like to tell stories, but that's like the story of the day for me. Jesus gives us this great commandment that Kenny read to go and make disciples. And I'm not sure if I could tell a better picture of it than what we saw here today. Of two people who a year ago gave their lives to Christ and said we want life to look different, we want to be changed, we want to live our life for our Savior. And then to see, uh, see them be able to baptize Mackenzie this morning, to make disciples and baptize her in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. It's good stuff. If you're new with us, we have uh, spent 2018 going through the book of Mark. I've jumped around a little bit, but today we are in Mark 7. And uh, we're going to do something that I usually don't do. We're going to tackle this whole chapter today. Because I think as we uh, just kind of go down through uh, several accounts that are all in this one chapter, and we start to ask ourselves, man, what, like, how are all these things connected? We're going to see a beautiful picture of God's grace. And so... Uh, out of respect for time, there's going to be a few less stories and a little more, let's just see what the text says, let's think about what this story means, and let's ask ourselves what God is telling us to do. So, uh, in light of that, Mark 7, I'm going to read, uh, read a little bit at a time, and we'll talk about that and unpack it and keep walking right through that. And so, um, let's pray together for our time in the Word, and just pray that God would transform us through His Spirit and through His Word. Father, I pray that... Uh, this morning, as we open your word, that you would change our lives. It's no small request. It's not something that we take lightly. We pray that we would literally be transformed in this place. With the way we think, <clears throat> our actions when we leave here, our hearts will be different when we leave because of our encounter with the one true living God. Not because of anything that is even said, but, but just... God, by your sheer force and power and love for us, may we be changed in you today, we pray. Amen. All right. Read with me if you uh, have it pulled up. Mark 7, verses 1 through 13. We're going to have it on the screen for those who might not. It says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, him being Jesus. And they observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs that they have received and, and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? And Jesus answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. What does that mean? These Pharisees were looking for a way to limit Jesus. This summer, we've talked about a limitless faith and, and the limitless power of God. In, in our context, Jesus' influence and his power, they're growing. And a result of this growing influence and power, the Pharisees, were uh, their influence and power was, was waning. It was becoming less. So they began doing something that's very natural for all of us to do. They began to look for something wrong that they could point out about their competition. What they didn't realize was they were attempting to put God in a box. They were taking the law that had been given to them as Ten Commandments by God himself, and they were using it to trap Jesus, to, to try and limit him, to try and put him in a box. And when they challenge him on it, Jesus responds in a way that we haven't seen much of. He squashes them. He quotes scripture. He calls them hypocrites. He tells them that their worship is worthless. Imagine if you were having a conversation with someone and they began to quote scripture as proof that you were living a fake life and that everything about your religious experience was worthless, that you were just going through the motions. Imagine if somebody came and told you that. The, thought, the quote that comes to mind is, nobody puts baby in a corner, right? Nobody puts Jesus in a box either. And that's what these Pharisees found out that day. Jesus goes on to give them this example, right? And, and he says, he reminds them of the one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, honor your father and mother. And then he shows them how they have been encouraging people to get around this clear commandment in Scripture. He says, you guys have folks whose parents are wasting away in need. They need to be taking care of their moms and dads. P.S., let's just take a little sidebar and a little self-application, right? How many of us, when we get to a certain age, like, I don't know, maybe it's 13 in some houses, but like 18, we're like, honor my father and mother. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm not a kid, right? And, and Jesus is speaking to adults here, and he's saying, the law clearly says, honor your father and mother. And what's happening is, is these Pharisees are telling these guys, now listen, if you'll just make Corbin, which is like an offer, a special offering to God, if you'll give your money to God, you don't have to worry about that command to honor your father and mother. It'll all work out in the end, right? A way around their loyalty, a way around doing what is right. How many of us look for those shortcuts? 
Recently, a government official quoted Romans 13. Romans 13 talks about submitting to government authorities. And he used that passage saying that people should submit to the government in defense of their action in separating children from their parents who were illegally crossing the border. Certainly God's intent in saying that people should submit to the government was not to promote the ripping apart of mothers and fathers from their children. It seemed clear to most that this individual was missing the word of God. He, he, was, he was misusing it for his own gain. He was trying to make God fit into the box that he wanted him to fit into. And as angry as that makes me, I have to realize that I do the same thing. Maybe even with the same commandment. When I get frustrated with my kids, I'm like, you know what Jesus says? He says, honor your father and mother. But I do this in all kinds of ways. And maybe you do too, right? Whenever we really want to do something, whenever we want to justify our actions, uh, maybe you do it subconsciously, maybe you do it actively. You begin going to the scripture, you begin going to you know, people that you trust, and you're looking for ways to, to make you feel okay about what you're doing, to justify your actions. So perhaps we all have something to learn here. So we can all sit in on, on this Jesus teaching that's about to come next. All right. So, so Mark 7, we, we, first 13 verses, pick it up with me again in, in verse 14. Summoning the crowd again, Jesus told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. Isn't eliminated a fun word of saying what's happening right there? I'm just going to start telling Caitlin, hey, I need to go eliminate. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the person. You know, we don't, we don't want to read those parts of Scripture slowly. <laughs> like, oh yeah, here comes another list of bad things. What's Jesus going to do to make them right? It's tough. Here in America, we just want to generally believe that people are good. We want to believe the best and then we read stuff like this and he's like man from out of your heart let me tell you some of the things that come out of your heart and then he lists off this list you know the things we put in our in our body they inform how we look on the outside like you can't eat mcdonald's every day and look good forever although i would like to try and prove that theory this is a joke it's a light-hearted moment in the middle of all this so things that come out of our body that show us how we look on the inside right it starts deep within. 
evil thoughts. You may say, evil thoughts don't come out, right? So how does this work? But tell me, you haven't seen someone who is clearly thinking evil thoughts. You know when you see that look on someone's face that there's evil thoughts going on in there. They're coming out of us all the time, perhaps today. You may have them about that government official. You may have thought them about your spouse. Your kids might have turned your evil thoughts into evil actions just today. But evil thoughts are just the beginning. Sexual immoralities. In today's world, we can find human justification for any sexual activity. I've yet to find someone who won't do whatever they feel like it feels good and find a way to justify it. We've made reasons for any and everything to be okay. It's okay to sleep together before marriage or live together because I'm sure that I can control myself. God wants me to be happy. It's okay, it's okay to look at people lustfully who aren't my spouse. We're just gazing upon God's creation. We're misusing God's commands to justify our actions. We're putting God in, a, in our box. This is what I want God to look like and, and do and feel. Greed infiltrates our lives, and we call it God's blessings. Our desire for more and, and our desire for better, it never ceases. It continues to come out of us, and it shows us what our insides really look like. Our decisions are often ultimately driven by the answer to the question, what do I want? And that is the definition of self-indulgence. What's worse, when we're unable to get what we want, we then have envy, right? We want what others have, and we often struggle to stop ourselves from trying to get it. We will deceive ourselves and others. We will slander people who try and get in our way or keep us from that thing that we want. And stopping at nothing to get what we want, we find ourselves proud at the end of what we have gained or what we've achieved. Look at what I did. It was hard. Some people got hurt in the process, but look at what I did. And in those moments, we justify to ourselves all of the foolishness that has gotten us there. All these things, Jesus says, come from within us. All these things defile us. All these things give us a clearer picture of who we are than what we portray to the world. Jesus is saying loud and clear, I don't care how nice the outside looks. I see what's really going on on the inside. I see you for who you are. We justify what comes out of us by trying to put God in our box. And we cannot stop because our hearts are undeniably bad. The stuff that comes out of us is, is wretched. It stinks. It's shameful. And we all do it. I came across this uh, psalm this week, Psalm uh, 12, the first four verses, and my heart just broke because I saw myself in it. I saw our generation in it. In some ways, I see our church in it. It says, help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. And they say, though our tongues, through our tongues we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? And as much as I hate to admit it, this is how we think sometimes, right? Like, I don't have to be loyal to anyone but myself. I don't have to answer to anyone but me. Who can be my master? 
Our hearts are undeniably bad. We want what we want, and we will set up whatever traditions we need to protect what we want. We will hide behind whatever legislation we need to to stay comfortable. We will do whatever it takes to maintain our personal sense of freedom. We will move wherever we have to in order to be a part of a culture that we prefer and we want to be a part of. All of us, we are all selfish in that way. And Jesus knows it. He sees it. And in this instance here with the Pharisees, he cuts through it. And in this moment, he teaches us, he teaches his disciples that what comes out of us reveals more about us than what we put in. What's on the inside counts more than what we see on the outside. And he was going to make sure, he was going to make sure in this moment that his disciples understood that very clearly. See, we have to understand all of this to understand what happens next. Verse 24. Jesus got up and he departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And when she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Did Jesus just call this lady a dog? Indirectly, maybe. But it's all part of an analogy Jesus is using to teach his disciples about their wicked hearts. Jesus and his disciples have traveled outside of Jewish country. They have gone outside. That should ring a bell if you're a Christ community person. They are way outside of their comfort zone. And this woman, who was an outsider in every way imaginable, approaches them. She's a woman in a male-dominated culture. She's a Gentile in a Jewish world. She's a foreigner. All the traditions say that she is unclean. The culture says she is worthless. Everything the disciples have ever known says this lady is not worth their time, energy, or attention. But Jesus has just taught about how it's what's on the inside that counts. And for the disciples, this is almost a test. Jesus is getting ready to use this outsider, the faith of this incredible woman, to show people for all ages that Jesus will not be put in a box. He will not be limited by human traditions or the cultures of our day. Let the children be fed first, he says. In other words, the first rights to my attention and my time, the first rights to my energy are supposed to be going to these Jewish men, not a foreign woman, right? That's what the culture says. If there's anything left for you as a second-rate person, then you can have some of my attention and energy. That's, that's what Jesus means when he says this to this woman. And she plays into the analogy. Her faith shines through. And in this moment, she is the teacher of the disciples. She has opened their eyes to what Jesus meant when he said, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out. And to drive the point home, Jesus has stopped what he's doing with the disciples. He gives this lady attention and now he's healed her daughter jesus continually goes outside of our traditions our cultural norms our comforts to teach people about his grace with our undeniably bad hearts we're always trying to answer the question what do i want and he is always trying to remind us that it has nothing to do with what we want that group of guys 
the Pharisees, that were trying to make sure that Jesus and his disciples washed their hands the right way, they kept trying to put Jesus in a box. They kept trying to corner him and find mistakes and bend what he said to use it against him. They didn't just want him in a box. They wanted him in a coffin. They wanted the threat of his power and his influence to be gone forever. They stopped at nothing to make that happen. They swayed the people to join them in this mission. They used the truth about him as a way to mock him. He was the son of God? Sure he was, they tried to convince people. And that day, as they beat him to a bloody pulp, as they drug him to the hill outside the city, as they nailed him to a cross and watched him breathe his last, I bet that some of them were proud. Hey guys, we did it. We took care of this guy that was a threat to our comforts, to our way, to our system. They had done it. And you know what Jesus' response was to the people who did that? Luke 23, 34 says, Father, forgive them. Because they do not know what they are doing. That's grace. On a day when the wicked hearts of men set out to accomplish something evil, God used it for good. On a day that evil men thought that they were setting their people free, the Son of God forgave all of humanity, including his accusers, for all of time. And that's good news because many of us, just like those men, try to put God in a box on a daily basis. We try to make him fit into our lives instead of molding our lives to look like his. If you try to deny it, you might want to take a look at your heart. We all do it. Stop putting God in a box. In the end, you may feel like you've won. You may find little moments of peace and respite, but Christ will always have the last word. And in those last words, he will continue to extend to you the grace and mercy that you do not deserve. today, if you've never accepted the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we would love to help you do that. And the beauty of it is, is that it has nothing to do with what's on the outside. And we've already seen that everybody has a really ugly inside. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he looks past all of that and says, I love you anyway. I forgive you anyway. Psalm 95 verses 7 and 8 says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If today you realize that you are undeniably bad and there is no way out except for to accept the forgiveness of this man who is God and his name is Jesus Christ, do not harden your heart. Do not walk away from that tug and that call that he is placing in your life. Today, if you do know the forgiveness of God, you have a tough question to walk away wrestling with. The question is this. Am I using God or is God using me? Am I using God or is God using me? You see, if you can't see how God is using your life to impact others for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you just might be using God for your own selfish purposes. It's a sobering thought. Maybe you don't know how God can use your life to impact others. 
and that's fair. This fall, we're going to be hosting several equip classes here at Christ Community, and one of them is going to help you answer who you are in Christ and, and how you can use that for the kingdom. And uh, there'll be more information coming out that in the next couple of weeks, all those classes that are coming up. So I encourage you to stay tuned to that or just start a conversation, right? But I want you to wrestle with the question. If you know the forgiveness, if you've accepted Christ and you understand that you're forgiven, maybe you're like Mike and you're saying, you know what, I know that I'm a Christian, but I don't feel worthy most days. One, that's a good place to be, just for the record. Recognizing that you're only worthy because of what Christ has done. But, but if you're like that and you're wrestling with this, the question that I want you to wrestle with this week is, am I using God? Am I just coming here hoping that my life is going to get better? Or is God using me? Is he using me to change people's lives? Maybe today you do know how God is using you. And if so, I want you to be encouraged I want to encourage you with what Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. If you know how God has gifted you and called you to impact other people's lives for the gospel, keep going. Don't take an off-season. Because as you press forward to Him, you are getting closer to the one who loves you in a way that no human being on this planet can love you. Chapter 7 concludes with Jesus going and healing another man. This man is both death death. Deaf? He's not dead yet. Jesus could have taken care of that too. He's both deaf and blind. Watch what the people say when he does it. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, starting in verse 31, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought him to a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. And after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He's done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You see, what I love about Mark 7 is that Mark 7 is this bigger picture. It's all about showing us that our hearts are undeniably bad, but Christ has done everything well. As bad as we are, Christ is multiplied millions of times better. He has done everything well. His heart is undeniably good, and his gift to us is to change out our wicked acts for his righteous ones. He will not be limited by our traditions, our cultural norms, our comfort zones. He is going to keep going, and he wants us to join him. He's done everything well. He even forgave his murderers before he died. So the good news is that it doesn't matter today what your outsides look like. 
your physical appearance, your home, your car, your life. When it comes to whether or not Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But for those of us who are so concerned about what our outsides look like, the question that we must wrestle with is that am I using God to keep up my appearance? To try and skirt around the laws and make what I do justified by him? Or is he using me? Is he using me to make disciples? Is he using me to to see my children grow up in the Lord? Is he using me to invest in my neighbor? Is he using me to, to serve this community and to tell people, maybe for the first time, that they are forgiven? It doesn't matter what they look like. Wrestle with that question today. Wrestle with it. It's my prayer and hope for you. You know, it's hard to think about the sin in our life. It's hard to read passages like what Jesus said there about the things, the bad things that come out of our heart. And it's difficult because when we begin to reflect on those things, we understand, maybe in a little bit more tangible way, that those things that come out of us are the things that Jesus died on a cross for. This week, um, the, the room in here got a fresh coat of paint. It was awesome. It's great. The outside looks pretty. But it was really humbling as we came out here and got ready to paint. And we had to, we had to get this cross off the wall. And when you look at this big wall, right, it looks fine, whatever. And you look at the cross and it's like, eh, kind of looks like it fits on the wall. I just want to challenge whoever wants to to come up, maybe not everyone, but like, you want to come up and start wrestling this cross off the wall, and you are going to find out how big it is. Matt Bergen did a great job of building this cross in 2010. Like, when rapture comes, the cross will be here. It is solid. So Mike Iman and I are like wrestling this cross off the wall, falling down with it, and there's this moment, right? Good grief. Jesus didn't like wrestle across off a wall and get a few scrapes on his shoulder. Jesus was bloodied and beaten because everything that comes out of me is bad. And after they beat him to the point that you couldn't recognize him, he put that cross on his shoulder and he walked until he was exhausted. He was so exhausted that somebody else had to step in and carry it for him. And then when they got it there, they, they nailed him to it. And I was tired after wrestling it to the floor and laying it down here. I was breathing hard. But every time we come into contact with our sin and with the reality that, that the cross is a real thing, that Jesus was a real man and it really cost him his life and he went through a lot of suffering for you and for me, when we come into contact with that, we begin to, to grasp his grace in ways that we, we just we haven't before. And so when we talk about our sin and when I challenge you to think about maybe your selfishness, maybe the things that are growing inside of your heart that aren't good, 
I don't do it because I want you to feel bad. I do it because I want you to experience the grace of God in ways that you never have. I don't do it to try and point out the things that are wrong with you. I do it so that you can understand just what the price was that Christ paid when he was on the cross. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus did on the the cross, it's not going away either. It's going to last forever. The righteousness that Christ gives to you to pay for the wickedness, the ugliness, the dirtiness, the stinkiness of your life, it lasts forever. If you don't know that, if you've never been forgiven, if you've never said, I trust Jesus, I trust that what he did for me is real and true, then don't miss that opportunity today because it's a whole lot harder to carry around your sin than it is to give it to Jesus. And if you do, don't abuse it. Don't misuse it. Be used by God. Don't use him. Let's pray. Father, I uh, I just come to you personally first. And I thank you that in your grace, even just walking through the day to day this week, God, that you and you put my sins right in front of me. <laughs> that you challenged me and showed me where I'm weak. convicted me and showed me where I'm guilty but I'm also so grateful Father that you would not allow me to go into shame that, that you reminded me that uh, I'm forgiven I'm loved by the one true king and so Father God I pray that um, in this place today you would change each person That you would help them to see their sin, but then you would quickly show them your grace. And Father, I pray that you would use your spirit to just impart to us wisdom and discernment. Help us to know how you want to use us in the mission. Help us to see the people that that we can share the good news with. Use us, Father. And give us the strength to not use you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we respond to the gospel, to that good news that Jesus died and gave us grace for our sins. We invite you to respond with us. If you're a believer in Christ who has been baptized as Mackenzie was this morning, we invite you to come up and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And as you do that, right, you're remembering your sin that put him there. You're remembering all the things that you do that are bad that man that caused his body to be broken and beaten and bloodied for you but as you walk away from that table you are celebrating that you are forgiven there is no shame in Christ you are worthy in him if you don't know that forgiveness if you're walking around carrying the shame and the burden of life please come and pray with myself with Gary and Connie 
man, we, we just want to have a conversation with you and Jesus because he's the only one that can free you. Don't harden your hearts today. Run towards him. That's my hope and my prayer for you. So respond with us. Sing, taking the Lord's Supper, come. And let's celebrate the grace of God through Jesus Christ.